RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. A week or so ago on Reality Check Radio, we had a really interesting chat with Farzan Arani about the history of currency. And many of you thought that was an incredible chat. And I learned so much, it could have gone on for about another half hour. So uh, naturally, the penny drops and you think, well, we've got to get Farzan back. So we are. Every Thursday, Farzan will be here to talk money and finance, um, banking, everything, even CBDCs. I think we touched on that um, pretty well last week as well in our chat. So Farzan Arani of SuccessSimplified.life joins me again. Farzan, welcome back. Good to have you again. Yeah, good morning, Paul. Uh, Thanks for your kind words. Um, I hope people took away what was said and did some research for themselves and learned a little bit more about money and finance. So thank you to all of you guys and for the work you're doing. Thank you. Yeah, I think most people were like me thinking, oh, okay, is that where that came from? All right, I see. And one thing I noticed talking to you and others would have done the same thing is you start joining the dots pretty quickly, you know, and you start to see the the patterns. And we're kind of here to talk about um, that pattern because you started us off, you know, the early days of banking, how that came about. And, you know, people looking after your gold and writing promissory notes, right? saying that if you come back, you can, we'll give it to you. And they were relying that not everyone came back at the same time because they couldn't, they couldn't have a run on them. We've heard a run on the banks is uh, more of a contemporary saying. So that was, you know, hundreds of years ago, way back in history. Fast forwarding now, what, to about the early 30s? Yes, that's correct, Paul. So we talked about when um, there were traders first dealing in um, amongst themselves. And then the government obviously just stamped the gold and silver coins, and it was called seniorage. So the government or the kings took over uh, the control of money. And now if you fast forward to the 1930s, because the goldsmiths were handing out promissory notes. So if everyone remembers, I kept mentioning promissory notes, and that is pretty much now our bank notes. So fast forward to the 1930s because the banks were allowed. So the goldsmiths became the banks and banks were now allowed uh, to hold on to people's gold where they could deposit it. And they were given a bank note instead of a promissory note. It was called a bank note. And essentially that was circulating uh, in the economy. Now, fast forward to the 1930s, what most people don't realize is how did everything change and that's what I'd like to talk about today, is how the government and the banks co-mingle and how the reserve banks were created around the world as well. Okay, and that's about the uh, the decade that our Reserve Bank came into being. Yes, Reserve Bank of New Zealand was set up in 1934, uh, actually, under the 1933 Reserve Bank Act. And um, we, we'll just go back a little bit more. Remember, New Zealand and Australia were uh, territories of the British Empire. So it was the UK pound. And the word pound also comes from the weight of it. it it's still called the currency, it's still called pound sterling, because it was a pound of silver, sterling silver, that was the money. And that was used uh, in the 1840s uh, in New Zealand and Australia. And anyone can just jump on uh, Wikipedia and stuff and Google this themselves 
to understand some of the history of the Reserve Bank of New Zealand and how it was set up. It was first called the New Zealand Pound. And what happened was essentially under the British law, that is what circulated in the New Zealand economy. Then came a point in 1930s. As I said, in America, the Federal Reserve was set up in 1914. And as that message spread across the world, magically in New Zealand in 1934, we had the Reserve Bank Act passed and the Reserve Bank actually confiscated New Zealand people's gold. And this is not just me saying it, it is actually on uh, Wikipedia or if you just Google it, you'll find that after the Reserve Bank Act, the privately held gold was confiscated and paid for in RBNZ notes, which is your Reserve Bank New Zealand bank notes. and. Today, hopefully, we'll cover the difference between the fiat currency, which is the note, and what the banks do. And going slowly, as you said last week also, where people can then connect the dots of what is actually happening. Okay, so the, the um, I guess, the Reserve Bank or the government um, takes the gold from people. That's compulsory, right? You can't hang on to it? No, you can't. It, what, even, I mean, people have jewellery and teeth. <laughs> Things well, like not, that. No, no. So this is the thing, right? Jewelry and teeth. And there's a lot of smart people around the world who, let's say, for example, again, I'll give you the Indian example. Indians always invest in gold. Chinese invest in gold. And it will be jewelry. Um, it's also in countries like New Zealand and Australia and the Western democracies. We have nine and 18 carat gold jewelry, obviously, because it's stronger. But in America, people, uh, sorry, in India and China, people would uh, use the higher carat gold, which is darker in color as well. And they'll wear it as jewelry. That's their wealth. They'll wear their wealth rather than keep it in a bank. So again, it is tilted more towards the Western democracies where we've been made to believe in these institutions and not taught banking and money in our schooling system, as we discussed last week, on purpose, whereas uh, the developing countries have seen their governments do this time and again, and they have learned. So they hold their wealth upon them in jewellery and stuff. Okay. So um, the Federal Reserve established, I think he said in 1914, we're kind of late to the party. I guess it took a while for uh, new ideas, if you want to call it that, to get around the world back then, given the <laughs> speed of communication and travel back in the day. Why did we, do we know why we moved to that system? What was the purpose of it? Obviously, to control what government control directly of the economy. Was that the reason? Yes, exactly right. So now, now I think about 100 years later, people are connecting the dots. It's all about centralization of power. You've just got to remember that is essentially what it is. It's centralization of power. So the government wanted to take control of the issue of currency, and they created the Reserve Bank. Now, the Reserve Bank has been given certain powers. They call it the Banker's Bank for exactly that reason. The Reserve Bank is the only one, we'll just talk about the New Zealand example for right now, but it's all across uh, developed uh, and Western economies. But the Reserve Bank is the only one, and it's called the Reserve Bank of New Zealand. So people think it's the official government <coughs> back bank, right? Yeah. Even the words that and the terms that they use are for certain reasons and stuff. So the Reserve Bank was the only one who was given the authority to create the notes. So as I just explained, pre-1934, you put gold inside a bank and the bank gave you a bank note saying it was holding on to your gold. Okay. In 1934, they had to create a reserve bank and said, sorry, banks, you're not allowed to create bank notes anymore. 
you have to now deposit all your gold with the reserve bank and the reserve bank will give you a note so the government oh, okay. signed into yes yeah. so the government signed into legislation that the reserve bank is the only one who can create the new zealand dollar note just this again just an easy example so the physical piece of paper is called a note or the new zealand dollar note or the australian dollar note and last week i also explained on that is written legal tender yep. so they took the power away from the actual banks to create the notes so the banks and, and doesn't to, even the governor sign it there's a signature of the current or, or whatever governor it was yeah, at the time the yes, currency was yes. printed is is their signature is on the note yeah it's all it's all a confidence game as you said right so it's all got to look uh should i use the word legit it's all got to look <laughs> and make us believe that it's all um yeah it's all government endorsed and all that kind of stuff people are signing their name to it must that's be it good. and it's monopoly yeah. money it's it, it's a colored monopoly money and you might ask me why did the government do this and 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 the whole point is we'll go in today's session is i want to talk to people about inflation and how that system is created but just coming back for one second because if we just explain the reserve what the reserve bank does is creates notes the banks can't create notes so if you just talk about the physical notes i just want people to think physical notes is only created by the reserve bank yep and those are deposited at banks and now banks can create credit money as we explained last week as well to a ratio of only 10% so now if they have 10% in notes they can lend out 90% credit money into the economy so it just keeps and keeps and keeps on multiplying and that's how we get inflation so where does the new money come from does the reserve bank assess the growth in in money however that's done and prints more notes or is there always a limited amount of notes or or coins and and that's a bit quaint to say that now because it's zeros and ones a lot now but um is there actually any new money created yes there is good question paul again um the money is created out of thin air by the government issuing debt right and this is why the government had to say that we want the reserve bank is the only one who can create the notes so now when the government issues bonds any government around the world issues bonds they are selling debt into the market and i explained last week as well the government just like a big family it shows its income and its expenses and i say i need more debt so let's go back to the simple covid example what happened when covid came about governments around the world locked up their economy said no one's going to work you just have to sit at home don't worry we're just going to pay you money to sit at home where did that money come from yeah i'm curious yeah they just created out of thin air now the government gets created out of thin air because the government takes debt so the government issues bonds it says i will give you 3% interest let's say for example and it creates billions of dollars of bonds which is again another promissory note by the government saying we promise we'll pay you look with the new zealand or the australian government or the us government we promise to pay you back with a 3% interest rate token on it so there's a few people who can buy it there's pension funds around the world who might see the new zealand government's promise as a good promise um there's banks who might also buy it but let's say nobody else wants to buy it the reserve bank of new zealand will be forced to buy it okay so then the reserve bank just creates money out of thin air gives it to the government the government deposits it into the banks of people's bank accounts so you got some money or somebody else who is not at work got extra money for doing absolutely nothing 
Hmm. And because it's deposited in banks, it now has a multiplication effect, right? Because so when their say, money's deposited, they can do that ratio of lending to Yes, yes. Out. So let's say the New Zealand government handed out $1 million. Let's just say $1 million yeah. to everyone at home to just sit at home and say, just stay safe, right? Don't get outside. Yeah. Now, because the bank, this $1 million was deposited into people's bank's account by just a keystroke entry by the Reserve Bank of New Zealand, but went into people's bank accounts, now the banks can create 10 times more, nine times more, because I told you the banks only have to hold on to 10%. So now $1 million was put into bank accounts. We can now create another $9 million out of thin air. And that is exactly why the house prices you started seeing why did house prices jump up so much? There's this magic money just coming out of nowhere. And for a bank, it makes sense to convert that that money that doesn't actually physically exist as soon as possible to some sort of hard asset. Yes, in a way also, because, well, they have a banking license. Their job is to do exactly that, right? Um, they are supposed to lend into the economy. So if we come back to the 1934 example, let's say you used to know your local banker or your branch manager. Banking used to be local. He used to go to your local branch manager. He knew you. He saw you at the supermarket. He knew, knew the family. Farmer. Probably had a few generations through the door. Over exactly. Time. Exactly. Right. So you went to your local branch and you knew them and you explained it. So banks used to take on risk themselves because remember, as I said, we used to hold gold in the branches. Yes. Even at that stage, they had a banking license and they could lend uh, one to 10 so uh, 10% is all they had to hold. But at that stage, banks were local. So they understood the risk in their local economies and they decided whether to give you money or not. But now yeah. the banks are licensed to just keep growing and they just hand out. So they want assets on their balance sheet. There's no good. It's sitting on their balance sheet because there is no gold anymore. Yeah, so it's, it's just sort of um, wafer thin almost potentially. When 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 times are tough, you can repossess all the houses that people owe you, and you can re they're, they're a fixed asset, right? So they don't evaporate. Exactly, and and I think we we could touch this on so many levels. So let's touch it now. The whole concept of people not understanding inflation. Firstly, you've got to understand the government, the Reserve Bank of New Zealand, and the banks are all working together. Okay, the banks are a little separated, but the banks used to have the power to lend into the economy. They They've still given them that power to lend into the economy, but they make it sound like RBNZ is, or the Reserve Bank, is like the big, what is that show they had? The big brother yeah, who's big watching brother. over the banks, but is set with a with a little naughty stick. And the only reason he's got that naughty stick is because he's the one who can issue the bank notes, whereas the banks can only issue credit money against the deposit on their books. Right. But the government- So, so, so the supply of money to the banks- they have the they have they're all in with the central bank because that's where their their opportunity for business primarily comes from. Exactly. So the remember how I said the Reserve Bank is the only one who's allowed to create the notes. Yeah. So when you go to your ATM, what happens? You when when you press some amount and you want to withdraw two thousand, where does that come from? Because let's say an ANZ or a BNZ or ASB, whatever bank you pick, doesn't actually have the right to create the money. It's only the Reserve Bank. So the Reserve Bank creates the paper money, gives it to your local bank, but you think they're the same because you're withdrawing it at, from a bank account. You see how I've explained to you why those magical digit numbers on your phone seem like real money? Because they're linked, right? Because if you go to an ATM and withdraw it, real cash comes out. Yeah. 
So people see that as money because the digits on your banking app also are money. If you couldn't withdraw the cash, and that's what they're trying to take us to, central bank digital currency, it's all only digital. People will wake up very quickly saying, how is this money now? Because you can create as much as you want. But coming back to what we were saying, they all three are interlinked. And the thing I want to explain to people is the government loves inflation. So when we talk about growth and growth and growth all the time, GDP is measured in growth. Yeah. They wanted to keep growing because what the word inflation comes from, let's say we go to a birthday party today and somebody asks us to blow up a balloon. What do we do? We blow into it and we're inflating it with air or you inflate a tire on a car. The word inflation itself comes from creating more of something. Yeah. So they're creating inflation and the inflation is good for the government because let's say it borrowed a million dollars today and now there's $10 million in the economy because they created more money. They're paying the existing debt off with cheaper dollars. Okay, so you could almost set up a structural inflation and it would be beneficial, not necessarily to the citizens, but to the government. Exactly. And and, and let me give you a very simple Is that why example. they don't do much to fight inflation? No, and they will tell you they are. They're telling you they're increasing rates, but it is built into the system. Remember last week also when I explained how is money created? Money is created out of debt. So if I lent $100 into the economy and there's a 3% interest rate attached to it, next year I need $103 to pay off the initial $100. Yeah. So you, the system is designed to be inflationary. So when they tell you they're fighting inflation, it's it's smoke and mirrors, if I'm being honest with you. And let me give you an example. Paul, when you were a kid, um, maybe a sliced bread or a dozen eggs used to cost your parents a dollar. And uh, as you got older, maybe it's $10, now it's $15. What I want people to understand is the same, um, you still used to get 12 eggs, a dozen eggs. It's not that the eggs have got more expensive. It's the currency losing the value. It's the oh, money. So that's how we should look at it. Exactly. So this is where we're going to get to. So when we talk about base money and debasing money, inflation is about creating more and more and more of it. So you're debasing it and it's losing value. So it, it is ingrained in the New Zealand, Australian, Canadian culture where they tell us, the banks tell us, ah, the brilliant stories. You want to own your own home and it's a Kiwi dream to have a backyard barbecue and stuff like that. So they tell you that story. So you want to own your own house. Essentially, you don't own your own house till you've paid off the last dollar over the 30-year period. Till then, yeah. the bank owns your house. But that story is sold, so you want it. Now, most people in New Zealand are attached to their houses, and they think house prices go up. It's not the house. Yes, the prices go up, but the house is not going up. If, if, if anything, the house is depreciating. It's the dollars that are losing value. Dollars losing value. So instead of me needing $300,000 to buy a house, now I need $2 million to buy a house. So it just means the currency with which I'm buying the house is losing value. The house isn't going up. People tell me I bought a house for half a million and 10 years later, it was a million bucks. Yeah, great investment, but your house doubled in value. But eggs have gone up 10x. Why didn't yeah. you invest in eggs? <laughs> Eggs were perishable, I understand, but you get my point. Yeah, I do. So it is not that the asset is going up. It's your currency or your purchasing power going down. If you were to measure um, the value of uh, the dollar or the slide in it by the um, you know stratospheric rise in house prices, 
you can see how devalued the currency has become. Exactly. And that's that's what if people just understand it's not the asset going up, it's your currency losing value because everything's going up. That is essentially inflation. So we circle back to the point is, isn't it in the best interest of the government? Let's say 10 years back, it borrowed $10 million and now it's paying back cheaper. They're paying back the previous debt with cheaper dollars, with devalued currency or debased currency. So it is in their best interest to create more and more and more. And remember, the government survives on the GST and the taxes from us. So the higher salary goes or the higher property goes, they're getting a tax on it. The higher the grocery shop every week is, the higher their GST take is. So it is, again, in their best interest for everything to get more expensive because they get a bigger take. 15% 15% GST on everything that's more expensive in the economy. But on the other other hand of that conversation, we explained last week is they're stealing our time. So let's say your family of four and the father and mother used to work 40 hours a week, earning $1,000 a week for the grocery spend. Now that everything's gotten more expensive in the last year, I now have to go and work 60 hours a week to afford what I could last year. Yeah, so, so time by currency. not only are you have a devaluing currency, you have devaluing time. That is it. Time is money. That's why they say time is money. You can't get it back. No, you're never going to get it back. So the, that's why the first week we started, this is a slavery system because you have to go and earn their legal tender and their paper currency to put food on the table and pay the bills, but they get to create it out of thin air and they make it sound like they're doing you a favor so you can go buy a house or consume it today. Most people just understood these basic facts. They're devaluing your time. So you have to run longer on the treadmill just to survive, just to survive. Okay. So surely that can't go on forever. We've seen countries like Zimbabwe and some of the South American countries that had, you know, astronomical inflation and, and really the, the thing kind of broke down in the end. That's what happens, right? In the end. It, 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 it does, right? So they're creating too much money. Now, the thing is, what, what, what we also got to understand, is it, it's a two-factor thing. So they want to create inflation, but they don't want to create too much of it because then the people wake up. So the Reserve Bank actually has a target of maintaining price stability. What they mean is they want to keep inflation between the happy band of 2 3 4%. So even no, right Not now, for us, though, eh? Not for us. Well, no. For them. For, well. For their machinery to work. The way they want it to work. Well, exactly. Machinery to work without a revolution. So when we'll go back to what you just said, in the past, inflation and hyperinflation has caused revolutions around the world. In the French, it happened in America as well when they fought against the British and got their independence and they became the USA. So people have to understand how revolutions come about because people, if you did not see it at 3%, because, yeah, something got about 10 cents more expensive. But now everyone's talking about eggs or everyone's talking about young kids not being able to afford a house. It's getting more and more obvious because they have to run faster and faster and create more and more money uh, or currency or fake digits on a computer because the gr- uh, the growth in debt is becoming exponential. It, it becomes exponential after a while. And I, if some people remember I mentioned last week, we will eventually get around 2026. Between now and 2026, the governments know the system is breaking down. And they knew after the global financial crisis, it was breaking down. They just put some paperwork and tape in places to keep it together. Governments will default on their debt. So you know how I mentioned governments are issuing bonds? 
Yeah. They are taking debt, promising to pay you back in the future. Now, most pension funds are holding on to this. Banks are holding on to this. There will come a point where governments will say, sorry, we're not promising this. Now, it also helps a little bit of a tease. It also helps people to understand how do they bring in the UBI, the universal basic income, yeah. and CBDC. Because if the whole system collapses, because everywhere around the world, you have um, governments issued debt around the world. It's sitting on all the banks' balance sheets. It's sitting in all the pension funds, whether it's Kiwi, Saver, Australian Super, whatever. So what survives at the end of this? Not government bonds. So people need to be smart when it comes to investing their funds. They need to speak to their financial planners. And we saw last year, as I said also, the first year, if anyone, I, I'm probably going off a bit of a tangent again, but 60-40 portfolio is the uh, industry specific. So they say 60% in shares and 40% in government bonds. So when there's risk in the market and the shares drop, the bonds will go up in value because government bonds are seen as the safest and vice versa. Yeah. But last year, in 2022, we saw first time in history, I think in about 70 years or 80 years, that they both dropped together. The smart okay. money knows the governments are going to keep creating this inflation. And yes, we will get to hyperinflation, but they will default on their bonds because there's no way they can pay this back. Well, I, I you correct me if I'm wrong, but I think uh, some of the bank problems recently in the US, I heard, I could be wrong, um, had something to do with that, that the bonds that they held had devalued so much that they couldn't be sold for what they were worth. Yes. So and they I, and were I left sort kind of, of holding the baby, you know? Yes. I, I, and I to think I told this last week as well, because banks are told, look, government bonds are the safest. So around the world, if I said, where would you put your money, Paul? You might say the safest bet is my government because I know they can create it out of thin air. So the government bond is seen as the safest asset and it's got government backing. Then might be the big institutions and the banks and then you and I. So what happened was during COVID, again, even in America, what they did was they created bonds. And at that stage, remember, the interest rates were almost close to zero in America. Yeah. Every yeah. government did it. I think we were sitting at about 0.25%. <laughs> and so banks have to hold this on their balance sheet because it's seen as safe. And they're telling you it's safe. So the banks, look how safe our banks are because they have government bonds on it. Now, when interest rates go up, which the Federal Reserve has started increasing, the interest rates, as I explained last week, it is the cost of capital. So now your principal is going down. As interest rates are going up, house prices are coming down. As interest rates are going up, the underlying government bond is going down in value. Um, I don't want to go into too much about negative real rates, but let's just say, for example, everyone has a savings account. And why is inflation stealing from you? Let me just ex explain this. Let's say I have $10,000 in a bank account and my bank is paying me 3% interest on my term deposit or on my on-call account, my savings rates. So I think it's giving me 3%. First of all, the government takes a tax on that as well. It's called a withholding tax. So they even tax your savings. So by the time you get that $3 on your $100, let's say if inflation is running at 6 or 7% in the economy, I'm now getting a negative real rate. Now, this is more going into a bit of economics and all of that. But let's say I'm getting 5% on my money and there's 2% inflation. I'm still getting a negative, uh, a positive real yeah. yield, yeah. getting a plus 3%. Because my money is getting debased at 2%, but the bank's giving me 5%. What has happened in the last two years around the world is the bank's giving me 3% and we're running at 7% inflation. So I'm realistically getting... I don't want to use the word, but 
screwed over <laughs> by a minus 4%. Yeah. You're bleeding money, basically. You're bleeding money, literally bleeding money. And the government tells you, oh, we're trying to fight inflation. We're trying to fight inflation. Let's be honest. When they're increasing interest rates, they assume that inflation is only because people are flipping houses. But by them increasing interest rates, not everyone's buying houses right now. People are struggling to put food on the table. Yeah. They really wanted to do that and just go funding. As we explained last week, the Reserve Bank would literally come out tomorrow and say, hey, instead of a 10% reserve requirement, we need banks to now have 50% reserve requirement for any houses that are bought. Remember during the GFC, they were actually trying to ask people to have 20% deposits and then they made it 5% deposits. They could make it really hard. And that whole flipping houses thing would go away overnight. But they're not doing that. They're telling you they're increasing interest rates to fight inflation. Uh, Okay. Um, All right. So how long can this way of doing things, in your assessment, go given... Okay, you've sent all, you, you said all the central banks are linked, right? So they're all presumably off the same song sheet. How much loyalty they have to a government is, you know, we could argue that. But in terms of where inflation is at now, and it doesn't seem to be going away, and it seems that um, uh, there are issues out there. It's hard to find staff. Um, houses are sitting advertised but uh, not bought for long periods of time, um, even if there are a few selling at, at good prices. I mean, that, those are just blips, right? So um, we, we kind of know where it is now. How? Because I'm, I'm sensing where we're getting to this, uh, where we're heading with this, Farzan, is that at some point the solution will be to flip to a central bank digital currency and reset the system. Uh, am I right? Absolutely. So how far away is that, do you think? Is- that is exactly what the plan is. Um, but also understanding- How far away, though? At, at what stage are we at in the journey to that moment, do you think? Not exactly. Not exactly sure, mate. But um, I think I'm. If you, if you follow certain signs and certain things that are happening under the surface, um, people know what's coming, uh, when. Uh, and let's say, for example, I mentioned on the webinar in September 2019, um, there's something called the repo rate in America, and that shot up overnight. I knew they were going to have to create something behind the scenes okay. for them to print lots and lots of money into the system because the system was breaking down. Um, let's just say six months later, the world had a pandemic. and The world was asked to shut down so we could print lots and lots and lots of money. I'm not saying it was done on purpose. I don't know exactly. <laughs> But Great let's timing, say all of the signs you can see. I, I'm not even saying this, but there's articles written out there saying there were some people in, on the know who knew uh, and shorted the stock of United Airlines or American Airlines before the 9-11 happened, yes. the weekend before it happened. So yeah. whether it's a conspiracy theory or whether it's true. Yeah, but they always say, though, don't, don't they, that the market will tell you. I mean, why are um, funeral directors and conglomerates in America, why is their share price going through the roof? It, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah the not, market will – why are insurance actuaries recalculating life insurance and yeah. getting hung out on these life insurance uh, packages sold to people through their workplace in the U.S. at a young age? Now, they've been claimed upon. They never thought that would happen. They're, they're trying to wind it back. What I'm saying is the market will always tell you, right? Yes. And it's telling you that exactly right. So insurance companies are seeing uh, – it's called a Six Sigma event with the life insurances. 
there's rapid, massive amounts of people in America who are either dying or who are either being permanently disabled. So all insurance companies are going, what changed in the last two or three years for so many working age population to be falling sick or being disabled and not being able to work? Um, so, yeah. It's yeah, happening but, here, by the way. I know someone in that business and th that is happening here. Oh, it's happening everywhere, but you don't hear it again in the media. And that's why we talk about some of these things. Um, just let people think. We we want people to be curious and go and figure it out for themselves and connect the dots, as we said last week. Um, I just want to address something that you also said uh, about um, your Zimbabwe's and uh, all these kind of places, the Weimar Republic, which I mentioned in the 1930s. So yes, yeah. inflation keeps going up and up and up. And people think it gets to a point where hyperinflation is because they created too much money. In a way, yes, but that is not the only thing. What people need to understand is hyperinflation, as I explained earlier, this is all government paper confetti money. And as people start understanding this treadmill has to keep running in this direction, one of two things happen. They lose confidence in the government because they can see through the game and they can say the government can never stop. That means everything's going to keep getting more expensive. So what the average citizen does is, and this is when it eventually leads to hyperinflation, they go, the same eggs that cost me last week for $10, this week cost me $11, or next week cost me $18, now it's costing me $25. And at that stage, even the actual person who doesn't know anything about banking or finance says, what's going on? And at that stage, they go, ah, it's not the eggs going up, it's the currency losing value. Yeah. And because the people, the, the citizens in that country lose confidence in their government to control this, that's when it becomes hyperinflation. And I know stories, I'll give you two examples. In Weimar Republic, the currency, this is after World War One. They created so much and they confiscated again 10% of everyone's money and they issued bonds. Okay, so in America, they confiscated gold. In Germany, when the government actually goes into your bank account and takes your money, you lose all confidence in that government, right? They're stealing. Um, so, the, so the people start going out and spending money because they think, oh, what next will they steal? In ha Weimar, Germany, there's an example of a person going outside a bakery to buy bread for his family with a wheelbarrow full of notes. Yeah. The George Mark or the Marks are that useless. And by the time he comes back out to pay, negotiate how much was the bread, by the time he comes out, somebody's chucked all his wheelbarrow full of notes out and stolen the wheelbarrow. So what yeah. happens is the paper becomes that useless yeah. because the wheelbarrow is more use useful than the piece of paper. And coming back to the Zimbabwe example, you'll see uh, pictures on the internet. Anyone just Google Zimbabwe hyperinflation and you'll see kids holding $100 million notes. That's right. But it can't buy you a slice of bread. Incredible when you think about it. Almost not and enough so room on the it. note for the zeros. Yeah. It's just zeros. They're just adding zeros. And this happens again and again. In Venezuela, it's happening right now. It's happening in Libya. It's happening in other places. In Western democracies, because the average citizens have faith in their government still, uh, given again the last two, three years, and what you said even about the insurance companies and all of that, eventually people start connecting all these dots and go, the government doesn't have my best interest in mind. Maybe, the, maybe the not. government. The government has its best interest in its mind. Its best interest in mind. And that's right? the people who are in power, if you want to and bring And you lose confidence in. in government, that's when the note becomes useless because everyone goes and buys anything they can get their hands on rather than hold on to the paper. Yeah.
Yeah, and that right. is essentially what inflation and hyperinflation is because people just don't have trust in the government anymore. And yes, the system resets. Then they knock off a few more zeros and call it a new currency again. And that's happened in places like Lebanon and Venezuela. But again, the government just has to keep doing it. So they devalue their currency again. And in places, so when people say why gold and silver, in places like Venezuela, some people um, uh, go and buy food for small bits of silver or small ingots of gold so they can feed their family. Or in a place like Venezuela, because they still don't trust their government, but they trust the U.S. government because it's a global reserve currency. If you have U.S. dollars sitting in a, in Venezuela, you're rich. You can buy food, whereas the average Venezuelan person is mm. um, starving. In fact, I heard this sometime in the 1970s in Venezuela, because inflation was that bad, that when you went out for dinner with your family, you negotiated the price of the dinner at the start and paid up front. Because by the time you finish dinner, prices would expensive. go up. Yeah. And another story was there was a, a this, this this I heard recently is um, there was somebody who goes on a bus to work in the morning, and the bus fare increases by the time he comes back in the evening. Gee, that's how crazy hyperinflation can get. And I challenge anyone to just Google it. It depends on how quickly it then takes off. Okay, so while you've been saying that, and we we got to wrap it up pretty soon here. But while you've been saying that, I was thinking. A central bank digital currency would be perfect for a reset because if you can build into it a whole structure of social conformity, the social credit system, let's say, you can actually start pulling money away from people as and when you need to. You you can bail in yourself anytime you want under another guise. Oh, too much meat this week or um, or, you know, a penalty for this penalty for that. You can start to really manipulate the money system in that way, can't you? You can't do that right now. You can't walk into people's houses and take the cash. But you'll no. be able you'll be yes. able to regulate or <clears throat> deny people the use of money if you wanted through that system, which means you've got more levers to control your money supply as well as control your people. Yeah. Um <clears throat> there's three things, there's three things that they've whoever it is or whatever this organization is, a few people up top who are running the show. They want three things, Paul, um, profit, power, and control. So the profit was created through the banking system uh, and how the Reserve Bank and everything is created. They create their own profits because they can create out of thin air and then charge you and I. So they charge us interest. And as we agreed, we're selling our time for money. So they're getting all the money. And that's why the rich keep getting richer and the poor keep getting poorer. Uh, yeah. The second thing is power. And these rich organizations then have the power, which we also spoke about. Why is BlackRock or Vanguard the biggest investment companies in the world? The funny thing is they're using our own money against us because it yes. is our pensions that they get to invest, but they then decide who the ESGs are. So they're using our money against us and not for our best interest. Now comes the third part. So they've already got the first two sorted. The third part is control. How do you control people? Either through fear and let's give an example. COVID was fear. Yeah. You either want to just sit at home and wear a mask and think it's too scary to go outside. I know people who were sitting in their own car all alone and wearing a mask. And I thought, how is that going to protect you? You're alone in the car. And people, I think, even at the start, were washing the vegetables and fruits when they were coming home. How yeah, ridiculous is that? Yeah. But again, when you're in fear, you're, you, you kind of get a stress response and you're not thinking clearly. And that's why they put us in fear. Switch off the television, stop listening to mass media because that's their job. They were showing you hospitals all the time with people dying and all that stuff. If you switch it off, you can think for yourself. 
<laughs> but now comes the CBDC. How do you control people if you can't create fear? So let's say there was 10 or 15 or 20% of us who saw through the COVID stuff. We, we were not fearful. We said, ah, we're going to die someday anyways. Get on with life. Um, but then now how do you control 50 or 60 or 70 or 80% of society or 100% of it? Because some of us are not fearful. Ah, it's the money. Because as I explained in week one, money is just a medium of exchange. You had the sheep. I had the eggs. I could have just swapped eggs for sheep and we would have been happy. But the government put themselves in the middle, stopped our medium of exchange from being a lawful medium of exchange, called it legal tender, so we could be jailed, or it's illegal, unless we use only their money and pay taxes in their money. And now you have a system. And now on top of that, if you put CBDC, what, see, they're trying this. And I can even, again, I, I follow macroeconomics and geopolitics. And as you mentioned, my website, thank you. People can reach out uh, if they want to have a chat. Um, but the whole point is it fails because people are waking up. People are rejecting CBDC in other parts of the world. In Nigeria also, again, the central bank is forcing people to have central bank digital currency because it started already out there and people aren't doing it. So they're just exchanging notes amongst themselves. So they created an artificial shortage. They asked all the banks, you know how I told you today that the banks get the notes from the reserve bank. Yeah. The yeah. reserve bank ordered the banks to literally shred all the notes. There's videos out there on the internet when a Nigerian guy walks out with a camera and shows you all the shredded notes. So they will literally force you into the system. But at some stage, people are waking up and going, nah, this is not what I want. And yes, as I explained earlier, there will be a revolution. There will be civil wars in countries. Uh, I might even predict something as simple as saying, again, people could check this in maybe eight, 10 years. The United States the way it's politically being divided and stuff will not be the United States of America anymore because there are divisions appearing. There are certain states who want to secede. In Canada, there's a couple of states who want to leave Canada and be on their own because when you divide people to so, such a big extent, so remember, it's always division, division. Uh, we talked a little bit last week about how they divide us on, oh, let's tax the rich. So it's the poor guy goes, yeah, 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 yeah go yeah. after him because he's yeah. so rich. It's rich, poor. It's male, female. It's by gender or not, whether you are LGBTQI or not. So they have to keep dividing us because if, if the citizens come together and they realize their power, the government's in deep trouble. Wow. Let's leave it there, um, Farzan. Another great chat. And um, we'll do it again next week. What, what do you think we might look at just very quickly next week? What do you think? I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy for even people to give you some feedback and say what they'd like to speak about, right? We could talk about housing and again this inflation bit let's talk cbdc if you want because it's most relevant as well yep um how i see that they might be able to bring it into uh, existence uh as i said it will be the cbi with the universal basic income because if there's no money to well, let's, let's talk about how that uh, universal basic income could work because i'm curious about how that system works and how it's paid for but those other things and if, if people have any questions or any comments to make, they can send those through to our text and uh, email address, and we can uh, look at some of those as well. So we'll do that again next week, Faz. And thanks so much again for the chat. Again, thanks. Thanks to all of you uh, for listening, and thanks, Paul. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.